with SBS Radio. SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to ITV Radio. Back on Country, a new book by Adam Goods and Ellie Lang has just been launched. The book explores how switching off from the pressures of the modern world and connecting with family, community and the land allows cultural needs to be met. In the program today, Bakinji Man David Hardy, illustrator of Back on Country, will join us to tell us more about uh, the new book. And as you'll hear, the story in Back on Country mirrors his own and Adam Good's lived experiences of going back to country. In the program, we also turn our attention to Indigenous Business Month 2022, which just wrapped up with a conversation with Rachel Sarah, founder of Sarah Creative Pty Limited, winner of the 2022 Indigenous Digital Inventiveness Award. Also in NITV Radio, we'll hear about a group of 10 Indigenous Marathon runners, all members of the Indigenous Marathon Project, who are flying to the U.S. today to take part in next week's New York Marathon. Well ahead of their departure, we'll learn more about their preparation to compete on the world's most prestigious stage and their program. A program, as you'll hear, that goes way beyond just running, encompassing all aspects of well-being and social inclusion. But first, the latest news on NITV Radio. Bertrand Tungandamingaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Bulletin, thousands of people to rally across the country and around the world to honor path teenager Cassius Tavi and calling for justice. Homeowners urged to talk to their bank or financial advisor as interest rates inch higher. And Jair Bolsonaro speaks in public but does not concede defeat after the Brazilian presidential election. Thousands of Australians are expected to pay their respects to Cassius Turvey and rally for justice at events across the nation. Rallies and vigils will be held today in every capital city, as well as regional towns for the 15-year-old Nunga Yamaji boy, who was allegedly bashed with a metal pole while walking home from school with friends on October 13. More than 40 events honouring Cassius are scheduled in coming days, including in the United States and New Zealand. But speaking at a gathering in Perth, his mother Michelle has urged people not to use her son's name for their personal vendettas. 
I want to make this really, really clear. We know racism exists, but do not use my son's tragedy as a platform to blow your trumpets. The general manager of the Arangu Pinjara Yakunjara lands has refused to resign after some members of the executive board voted to have him dismissed. ADR general manager Richard King claims the board meeting that resulted in his dismissal was illegal. At a meeting on October 4, the alleged meeting minutes published on social media indicates that seven board members voted to end Mr. King's tenure. But APY Wildlands Rights Act requires at least nine of the 14 board members to pass a resolution terminating the general manager's appointment. Australia's major banks have begun passing on the latest interest rate rise to their customers, with NAB the first of the big banks to make a move. The latest interest rate rise will add more than $114 to monthly repayments for an average $750,000 mortgage. Financial Councillor Peter Thompson says some people are likely to be finding the increases a challenge to meet. Roughly speaking, if your outgoing mortgage payments are nudging above 30% of your take-home income, that's sort of the amber zone for financial stress. And if it's getting up towards 35, 40, you're almost certainly in, as a household, in some sort of financial stress. Home buyers are being urged to contact their lender if they are finding it hard to make mortgage repayments. The Financial Rights Legal Centre says lenders are now well equipped to help customers in hardship. The federal government says a report reviewing Australia's defence capabilities will not be made public after they receive it, its findings. The preliminary report on Australia's defence force preparedness and structure is expected to hit the desk of Minister Richard Miles this week. But a spokesperson for Mr Miles says it would be inappropriate to preempt the outcome of recom- all recommendations of the review, which has been conducted by former Defence Minister Stephen Smith and former Defence Force Chief Angus Houston. The report will be used to determine priorities for Australia's defence budget. Australia has signed a deal with Thailand as it seeks deeper engagement with the Southeast Asia. Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong has signed a strategic partnership memorandum of understanding with her Thai counterpart Dom Pramodwinai. The minister is on an official visit to Thailand for talks on various bilateral issues, including human trafficking, climate change and technology. Ms Wong says the two countries share a region and a future. Ultimately, Australia seeks, and I believe Thailand also seeks, a region that is peaceful and predictable, a region that is governed by accepted rules and norms where all countries and all peoples can cooperate, can trade and thrive. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has finally spoken in public following his defeat in Sunday's presidential runoff election. Mr. Bolsonaro has avoided directly conceding to Da Silva, but says he has always followed the constitution and will continue to do so. His address will go some way to easing fears that he would refuse to cede power and attempt to block the presidential transition. But groups of voters loyal to the former president remain adamant they will not accept the results, with this protester, truck driver Jose Carlos, saying they are blockading roads to force the authorities into action. 
We must take the measures that he cannot take. And with this measure, we are here triggering a federal intervention from the Brazilian army. The armed forces must take action because Brazil is already out of control. Arab leaders, uh, Arab leaders say their summit this year will focus on the food and energy crisis impacting their region. The war in Ukraine has had devastating consequences for much of the Arab world, leaving Egypt, Lebanon and Tunisia struggling to import enough wheat and fuel to satisfy their populations, while Europe is eyeing Algeria as a key supplier of oil and gas. Deepening the crisis is the worst drought in several decades that has ravaged swaths of Somalia, one of the Arab League's newer members, bringing some areas of the country to the brink of famine. The 22-member Arab League last held its summit in 2019 before the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. The western state of Gujarat in India has declared a day of mourning following the deaths of 135 people in the weekend's bridge collapse. The declaration follows a visit by Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi to the site of the tragedy and to the hospital where some of the injured are still being treated. He says he has demanded that lessons be learned from the, the accident. There are also increasing calls for the resignation of the Gujarat State Police Chief as the community learns new details about who was in charge of the bridge and that no certificate that was fit for public use had been issued. Oriver, a company which makes clocks and electrical items, was responsible but had not informed the authorities that it would be reopening that it would be reopened last week after months of repairs. Russia has told civilians to leave areas of Ukraine along the eastern bank of the Dnipro River, a major extension of an order that Ukraine says amounts to the forced depopulation of occupied territory. Russia had previously ordered civilians out of a pocketed controls on the west bank of the river where Ukrainian forces have been adv- had been advancing to capture the city of Kherson but have now extended that order to a 15-kilometer buffer zone along the east bank too. But a group of residents have refused to leave Ukraine's eastern city of Bakhmut despite intensifying fighting nearby. Local Lyubov Kovalenko says that while she's afraid of the motor strikes, she's still bound to her home city. Leave? I don't know. Something stops me. I have no thoughts about it. I'm depressed. What would I do with my dog? I don't know. You look around and you see people walking and they aren't leaving. Some people can't stand it anymore and they leave. Of course, I don't want to hear all this flying and hitting nearby. Meanwhile, Turkish authorities say they believe a United Nations broker deal to allow exports from Ukrainian ports will continue despite Russia's suspension of the agreement. Defense Minister Hulusi Akar says he has had two phone calls in as many days with his Russian counterpart. Mr. Akar says there is progress and that Turkey is evaluating the available information that this agreement will continue. Back home, farmers have called for increased penalties for biosecurity breaches after an Indonesian man was caught attempting to smuggle 6 kilograms of duck and meat products into Australia. 
The traveler's visa was cancelled after he failed to declare 3.1 kilograms of duck, 1.4 kilograms of beef rendang, over 500 grams of frozen beef and nearly 900 grams of chicken in his luggage. Last month, the federal government introduced harsher penalties that banned people from bringing meat into Australia from countries dealing with highly contagious foot and mouth disease. Emergency volunteers say they are conducting dozens of rescues as more rain hits swollen creeks and catchments in inland New South Wales. The state emergency services service says it has conducted 39 flood rescues in the last 24 hours, despite warning to avoid taking cars through flooded roads. A search is also continuing for two men missing in floodwaters in the state's south. The pair were riding the back of a ute which was swept off the road while being driven across the flooded causeway about 50 kilometres from the town of Burawa on Monday night. And now to sport and in tennis, Novak Djokovic has opened his Paris Masters campaign with a win, defeating US tennis player Maxine Cressy 7-6-7-1-6-4 in the first round. The sixth-seeded Djokovic converted a decisive break in the second set to clinch the match in 1 hour and 43 minutes, delighting a vocal crowd in the French capital. The defending champion will now go on to face either Karen Krachanov or Marc-Andrea Hosler. The 21-time Grand Slam champion is riding a 10-match win streak and is hoping to secure a record-extending 7th Paris Masters title. Now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, a sunny day, 36 degrees, Perth, partly cloudy, 26, Adelaide, shower 2, 17, Melbourne, similar, 15 degrees, Hobart, late shower 2, 14, Albury, Wodonga, cloudy day, 12 degrees, Canberra, partly cloudy, 13, Wollongong, sunny day ahead, 18 degrees, Sydney, similar conditions, 21, Newcastle, sunny, 22, Brisbane, sunny and windy, 25, Townsville, sunny day, 31 degrees, Keynes, a shower of 233, Alice Springs, sunny, 26, Darwin, sunny, 35, and the Torres Strait Islands, partly cloudy day ahead and at the top of 32 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. Coming up next on NITV Radio, have a conversation with uh, David Hardy, illustrator of uh, Back on uh, Back on Country, a new book that's just been launched, and we will explore with uh, David Hardy this new book by Adam Goods and uh, Ellie Lang. In the program, we also feature an interview with uh, Rachel Sarah, founder of Sarah Creative Bitwire Limited, winner of the 2022 Indigenous Digital Inventiveness Award. Also. In your program today, we'll hear from uh, Rob Castella, founder of the Indigenous uh, Marathon Project, talking about a team of Indigenous marathon runners who are flying to the U.S. today to compete in next week's New York Marathon. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. I'm joined by David Hardy to explore a new book, Back on Country, the third book in the Welcome to Country series of books, co-written by Adam Goods and Ellie Lang. The five-book series seeks to connect young children, parents and educators with First Nations history and culture. And the new book, Back on Country, will be launched nationally on the 1st of November. David Hardy, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and welcome to Night TV Radio. 
Thank you for having me. Now, before we start talking about the third book about to be launched, I must first congratulate you. We just learned earlier this morning that uh, one of the books in the series, the one titled Somebody's Land, has just received another award, Speech Pathology Australia's Book of the Year Award, yet another accolade, another testimony of the phenomenal success of the series. Yes, thank you very much. Um, I'm just uh, packing, ready to go down uh, to Melbourne, um, yeah, to, to receive the award. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a big honour. Yeah. When you, come to, when you come to Melbourne, please drop into our studios. We can uh, talk more <laughs> about this new award as well. I would love to, but it's a pretty tight schedule. It's basically, yeah, just fly in, <laughs> get the award. I've got a lunch with uh, with the publishers and, and meeting up with um, a lady named Erica Wagner, who is from the book publishing place. Uh, I've never met her in person, which is, we've always been talking via Zoom and phone calls, so it would be nice to catch up with her. And then, yeah, just straight back on a plane, coming back home to Sydney. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> very, fly in, fly out, basically. Very tight schedule. Yeah. But, yeah, it'd be great to come down and, and have a chat in the studio uh, yeah. sometime soon, hopefully. Definitely, definitely. And now a new book, a third one, is coming out on the 1st of November. And this book tells a little bit about your, talks a little bit about your own journey. Tell us about uh, this book. Yeah, um, I mean, I imagine that uh, the, the book is called uh, Back on Country. And I imagine that uh, this story will be familiar with a lot of families who have Indigenous background, who um, have had either a mother or father being part of the stolen generation. So uh, for me, um, it happened to my mother. She was she was taken from her family when she was quite young. It wasn't for years, years later. She was a lot older. I was about probably eight years old, I think, at the time when she got reunited with her family. She didn't know where she came from, and, and so... Once she got reunited with her family, we used to take annual trips back on country. Uh, we used to learn about our culture and basically just catching up with family that we, you know, had missed for all those years. And um, yeah, it used to be great. How was that experience reconnecting with country and reconnecting uh, with uh, your own uh, people? It was amazing. I mean, I was I was growing. I, I grew up in Sydney, uh, so being kind of a a city boy, um, but going back to uh, my, my country is uh, Brewarrina. We used to take uh, like ten-hour drives. You know, just things that you know you don't see in the city. Like you'd just be driving uh, red dirt, and just all looks the same for hours and hours. You occasionally see a roo jumping across the, <laughs> the road, but yeah. And then actually getting there, it's just like yeah, it's just totally mind-blowing. Um, I used to have uh, relatives like my uncle, Uncle Bill, used to take me on a, in his ute, uh, take me down to the fish traps and um, just, you know, the fish traps, I don't know if you've, you've heard of them, but um, they used to, uh, the Aboriginal people used to build these kind of like sandbars. When it was high tide, all the, the fish used to swim in and then when the tide went out, all the fish would get trapped in there. So it was, it's kind of like easy pickings, easy way to get food. So yeah, all that stuff used to blow my mind, and it was always great to catch up with all my all my cousins. There was quite a few of them, so we used to you know cause a bit of trouble, but have some fun at the same time. A bit of trouble as an eight-year-old, I guess. You started going there when you were only <laughs> no, eight. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, don't, I don't mean trouble, trouble, but yeah, like I had um, like growing up in the city, 
like I would always have to say, oh, mum, like I'm going here, going there. It's it's and it's a bit more. I, I kind of guess a bit dangerous, like more in the city. The, that way, like out in the country, like you can just go and explore and do things that you can't really do in the city. And, yeah. And this is an experience you uh, went through with your sister Lucy and uh, your family, and uh, it's something that. Uh, co-author Adam Good also went through. So you share the same kind of experience uh, being city mob, going back to the country where you belong. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, like when I first read the story, I thought, I thought this is exactly what I went through. And then we didn't know that we had that connection. And then when we sat down and talked about it and thought, well, there's so many families that would be experiencing this same same journey and, um, yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to it. And it's also good for, like, even non-Indigenous, you know, people to, you know, just to see what it was like and just to, uh, you know, share the journey with them as well. So the Speech Pathology Award that uh, I read about uh, earlier this morning, it's not, uh, it, it recommends, I mean, it, the accolade is about uh, the book, the way it's written, the importance for speech pathology, but it's also significant for non-Aboriginal people to learn about culture, country. Uh, it brings a lot of uh, stories that were untold actually to the forefront right now. Yes, it does. And it also, um, you know, will introduce a lot of people to uh, the Adam now language. It's uh, Adam's, Adam's language uh, from his country. Um, and even as an Aboriginal man myself, like I, I, I love learning about other other people's country and other people's culture, you know, because everyone's different, different languages. And so, you know, different areas. It's really good to, you know, just take in as much knowledge about the Aboriginal culture as possible. And how was it working with Adam Goods on uh, these uh, stories and on this book in particular? Oh, yeah, it's great. And, and Ellie as well. Like it, it's, um, I think we make a pretty good team, always bouncing ideas off each other and it's you know it's really creative as as we go along and i also work with um um, erica wagner who who i mentioned also who um deals with adam a lot and he gathers as much uh research and information um that we need um which really helps me with my illustration you're a barkinji man yourself did you put are there any barkinji words in the book because the book is peppered with no it's uh, no barkinji words in in the book but uh, in the the illustrations on back on country, it reminds me of uh, of like uh, my trips back to Brewarrina. Um There's a, a scene there where there's a house and there's like tents out in the backyard. So I got that from where we used to stay at uh, my auntie Viv and Uncle Bill's place, and that's where we all used to meet and stay for our annual trips back. And um, yeah, all the grown ups and parents used to live in the uh, sleep in the house and all the kids used to sleep out the backyard in the tents. So that gave me inspiration, my experience, to the illustrations in this book. The illustrations in these books are really, really beautiful. I like them very much. They all exude happiness and a sense of wellness with all the people looking like they're really having a good time. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, it just, you know, you, you go back to these communities and it's kind of cheeky, all having fun, so much laughter. It's, um, yeah... It's a really fun place to be, and I still look forward to going back there every year. The book will be released on the 1st November, uh, coming at the heels of uh, a phenomenal success for the first two books, which have been uh, sold uh, nationally with a 
thousands and thousands of copies being sold and uh, many accolades, including the latest one that we heard about this morning. Now, before I let you go, David, anything you'd like to add? Uh, maybe a closing word? I think this, uh, yeah, this, um, this series of, of books uh, are really for everyone. It lets people in to know a little bit of uh, about our Aboriginal cultures, that they're fun books. I think the kids will get a real blast out of learning new languages, even the grown-ups as well, learning about new language and new sounds of a language that you don't use in the, in the English vocab. It's a great little journey on each book. David Hardy, it's been a great pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Richard Sarah, you're a children's book designer, illustrator and entrepreneur who has had many accolades for your work. And now you've just been acknowledged taking the 2022 Indigenous Business Month Award for Indigenous Digital Inventiveness. Welcome to NITV Radio <laughs> and congratulations on uh, such an achievement. Thank you. It is um, a very exciting time. Yeah. Now, your company, Sarah Creative Pit World Limited, is not just any online business. One of its core strengths is uh, leading conversations and raising awareness about uh, issues facing uh, the community, not just in Australia, but right around the world. Yeah, it's, um, it is very dynamic, I guess, the business that I have, and it's very heavily led by art and design but I think what I've identified is that gap between art and design business and social justice and social change and I think that's what makes my business so successful is that um, I'm able to harness all of those to really kind of showcase and celebrate the greatness of our culture but also raise awareness and shine a light on I guess the the hardships that we're facing as mob all around Australia. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what uh, the company does? Because, uh... So I have a few different facets of my business um, and a lot of them are dependent on, I guess, me being the artist or being the brand. Um, and, and a lot of that is sharing art um, in the form of products or collaborations with businesses or even commercial design with companies and and I guess it's kind of just um yeah it's really harnessing the power of art and design and storytelling but you know traditionally we always used to use what was around us to preserve our culture and now in the modern day I'm I'm doing the same but what's around us and what we're able to harness is is an increasingly digital market and and really harnessing the power of connectivity within the digital lens. So it is very diverse what I do. And, and yeah, I think it's just a lot of it is the foundation of what I do is my cultural responsibility and, and the, I guess, the excitement and pride that I feel in, in my culture. Yeah, and when you say about the pride and preserving the culture, there's one key element when I was just researching uh, this conversation we're having now. It's that members and clients adhere to the Indigenous Art Code, which is really crucial in um, preserving the intellectual property of uh, designers and uh, yeah, Indigenous artists. Yes, I think it's really important to kind of 
make sure that we are owning our intellectual property and copyright because, you know, so much has been taken from us in our culture, but to really understand and know your legal rights around intellectual property and copyright is super important and it's definitely something you need to be able to navigate this space. So, yeah, I think the more that we shine a light and talk about copyright and, you know, people like Terry Jenke and Steph Parkin, they are putting in the work for us as artists, um, themselves as lawyers to really, you know, educate us and, and really make sure that as businesses and as artists, we are able to control our legal rights and understand that. And I think that's a really important part of business. Yeah, it comes at a time when it's uh, really the conversation is uh, rife again about uh, intellectual property. I was just looking online about uh, indigenous, so-called indigenous design being uh, sourced from Indonesia or China or things like that, which is just cultural theft. Yeah, definitely. And even I was just recently in Sydney. I am I'm from Brisbane, but Sydney being quite a very tourist-centered area. It's hard to walk past those souvenir shops and see all of that fake art at the forefront of the tourism within Australia. So I think we all have an obligation, whether we are non-Indigenous or Indigenous, to really ask the questions of who are the artists creating this work and and how can we support the communities and the artists and art centres rather than these people who are just stealing our culture and putting it on cheap souvenirs. Because I think... A lot of people coming from overseas wouldn't understand that aspect, so the responsibility falls on all of us to re-communicate to, I guess, Australia and also the international market on how to best engage First Nations businesses and First Nations artists. And I guess that's part of the role that I have played within my business, face as individual artists, but also as business owners and, and First Nations business owners. We're losing out on that business to non-Indigenous people who are profiting off our culture. So, yeah, I think it falls on all of us to call that out, but um, I'm definitely, definitely seeing, you know, a lot of change for the better, but it's just happening a bit slow. Yeah, sometimes uh, uh, the people have the honesty of just maybe putting a little label made in China or made in Indonesia or Vietnam or wherever they source this fake art from, but most of the time they don't put it there. And if you don't know what you're buying, well, you end up with a fake art and uh, the you know defrauding uh, the rightful owners of uh, their intellectual property. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now you're described as a change maker. You figured actually you featured on uh, TED Talks and uh, many other forums, and you're described as a change maker, redesigning how First Nations business women navigate success while mm-hmm. anchoring their business in culture and uh, building a business bigger than yourself and committed to significant charitable donations, pro bono work. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, it's really important for me in business, just for my own personal values as well, is to, you know, I've had so many people who have come before me who have broken down barriers for me to even be in the position to have a business and to create work, and and I'm grateful for that. And I, I feel the cultural responsibility and the community responsibility to be able to extend that further. So a lot of my business or who I choose to do business with is determined on their, I guess, values and making sure that they align and how we together can create impact and change, whether that is 
um, through awareness or whether it's through uh, raising funds and donating to, you know, one of my um, close, I guess, charitable donations is to Sisters Inside. They're based here in, in Brisbane, founded by Deb Kilroy and and lots and lots of help and support goes into criminalised uh, women and children of First Nations background. And and that's not something that I would be able to do in my own right. And I don't have the knowledge or the lived experience to take up space in that, in that area. But what I can do is, you know, use my platform and use my partnerships to be able to financially support places like that and and other places like Common Ground. So I'm aware that I'm just one person and I don't have lived experiences and all the challenges that we face as mobs. So I would describe myself a little bit as a vessel in 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 gaining momentum, gaining awareness for these causes, but then being able to empower and support any way I can the people who are on the ground making those changes in those communities. So... Um, it is definitely something that's, you know, front of mind for me to make sure that the impact that I have benefits more than just myself, both socially and financially and emotionally and spiritually. Um, but that's definitely something that I have I've learned from my dad and how he has done business in the past. So, yeah, I think as mob, we are just, yeah, we're really, we're part of the longest continuing culture in the world. And the reason why we are that is because we haven't been selfish or we haven't led with ego. We've been very giving and we've seen things as seen things as more as a community rather than individuals. So um, that's always been very important to me in, in every aspect of business. Yeah. And one would think that uh, your business is just a boutique business, you know, and, uh, in, a, in its own niche. But you've worked with uh, some of the big names in Australia, including Tourism Australia, Kmart, uh, Matrix, Lush Australia in the UK, the Mills Foundation, Australia Post. These are major corporations that you're working with. Yeah. And I guess that's the beauty of the digital art and the digital creative space is, not only through the way that I market myself through social media, there's been such a huge increase in, in the presence of First Nations creators and, and the platforms that we're growing, but also the actual job that I can do digitally means that the artwork can go anywhere you can imagine, really. So I've had artworks in children's books, in adult books, on, on buses, on billboards, um, lit up on buses and bridges and different buildings. So that's really the power of, I guess, the digital design and and how, I guess, my business has been invented and, and reinvented, I guess, within the dif- digital space. So I guess they are all great clients, but, again, what's front of mind for me is not how big their names will be in life, but the shared values and and often you might think that you're getting into a really good relationship and things happen. So part of business is really navigating how they can maintain integrity and their integrity, but also how they can grow relationships beyond myself within community that will strengthen, I guess, their cultural journey to make sure that every First Nations person that steps in that door of that company is culturally safe and that artwork on the products or the design is just one aspect. It needs to go far beyond the visual aspects of design and into the core of their business. So, yeah, I've been really lucky 
to work with those clients, but it's definitely not an easy journey. It, it takes a lot for big corporations and brands to step out of the ways that they know so well into new ways that really allow culture to to fit and change the way they do business that will benefit not only First Nations people, but all people. Yeah. Now, before we let you go, anything we haven't covered you'd like to add to the conversation? No, I think I'm just, I'm really grateful to be recognised by MOB and, and by Indigenous Business Month. But I guess with any celebration, it's always kind of a difficult time to celebrate when a lot of community are hurting. So, you know, I guess as a business owner and as a First Nations businesswoman, I just, like, with the success, there's still those terrible times of grieving a 15-year-old boy and also asking questions around the 315, you know, First Nations women who have been murdered or have gone missing in, since 2000. So, like, it's really special to celebrate an award, but this award is also still just a commitment to making sure that we're raising awareness of the real issues that our community is still facing and and are feeling so raw right now. So, yeah, I acknowledge that although it's a special feeling, there's still lot, a lot of hurt in community at the moment. Yeah, rightfully said. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't forget that there are many out there in the community still hurting from all those uh, uh, or what you've uh, just uh, outlined. Richard Sarah? Yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been really a great pleasure talking to you, and uh, thanks again. Thank you. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. Now, today, a team of Indigenous men and women who are all part of the Indigenous Marathon Project will fly to the United States to take part in next week's annual New York Marathon. Indigenous Marathon Project founder Rob Castella says that when they cross the finish line in uh, Central Park, this will only be the starting line for his runners in a journey that's far greater than just running, a journey encompassing all aspects of well-being and uh, community development. Rob Castella says the program promotes running and uh, physical activity and they are all committed to providing social, inclusive and fun environments for people to adopt active and healthy lifestyles. Rob Castella also emphasizes that all members of the team who are about to embark to a journey to the United States have all worked very hard in a difficult year to earn a selection to compete in one of the world's most prestigious competitions. Just an incredible year, you know, sort of off the back of all the disruptions over the last two years, but we still had close to 150 applicants and, uh, and, and these 10 that are, have finally made it through the last six months of uh, rigorous education and training are about to hop on the planes to run over to, uh, to New York and then uh, and Athens. So it's uh, been an amazing year and again, just demonstrating the incredible strength and resilience and drive of our young First Nations men and women. Can you talk to me a little bit about the process? I mean, a lot of these runners hadn't run in half marathon six months ago and now they're about to do their first international marathon. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and that's what the foundation and the IMP program's all about is really uh, demonstrating to them but also to the whole country, just the incredible drive and determination. You know, their lives were full of, of normal work and family and everything else, and uh, and then they put their hand up to be part of this program. And over the last six months, they've really stepped up and done so much training and preparation, 
and um, and they've really earned, earned their their chance to, to run in these big marathons. Uh, in IMP, we say you get nothing for nothing. Everything we give, whether it's a pair of shoes or a t-shirt or a trip to New York, you've got to earn. Can you talk to me about the camp process? I think you're explaining a little bit ago about the multiple camps and how it's kind of every six weeks. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, well, this is our 13th year, and uh, and basically we open up selections uh, off the back of this. So you know, when we come back from New York in in early in a couple of weeks' time, we'll open up selections for the 2023 IMP squad. Uh, we normally have about 150 to 180 applicants and they come in over about a six month period and do uh, four five day training camps uh, different places, the first one's in Canberra and coincides with Mother's Day they run 10k and they meet each other for the first time and they spend most of their time over those five days in a classroom doing their, their cert for in Indigenous leadership and health promotion and, uh, and first aid and mental health first aid and all those things The second camp is in the Gold Coast about six weeks later where they run a half marathon. So they go from no running to 10K to half marathon in 12 weeks. And uh, and then they have another another six-week preparation back home. Then they run 25K. And then the final selection camp is a 30K camp in Alice Springs. And that's six weeks before New York. Uh, And they have to finish all their education. They have to demonstrate that their body and their spirit is strong enough to get them through the full 42.2K marathon. And that's what they've done. And what's next? And once we've finished the marathons, we come back home, I mean, that's not the end of the journey. No, no, no. Look, uh, that's the start. I mean, if all we ever did was take a a group of uh, black Australians to run a big international marathon, that'd be good. But uh, we say the finish line in Central Park is your starting line. And it's what they do after they come back. It's what they do when they realise how strong they are, how determined they are, what an impact they can have on their lives and the lives of their family and their community. And the foundation, we then really work hard with them to support them to, to step up and drive that positive change that we, we want to see. Uh, you know, These are the, the leaders of tomorrow. And all we do is we just stand side by side with them and give them all the support that we possibly can to help them to address the issues that are really uh, really passionate to, to them. You know, we, we want them to drive change in the areas that they really want to see change. When you started this foundation, can you talk to me about how important it is to you, but also how important it is to communities across Australia? Yeah, look, um, you know, I, um, you know, I've represented Australia and was Australian of the Year and very proud Australian, but uh, you know, back in 2010, um, I had an opportunity to be part of a documentary, the Running to America documentary, that took the first four Aboriginal fellows to, to New York. And for me as a white fellow, that was, um, it was a, um, a disturbing experience to travel to the communities and to see the challenges that they live with on a day-to-day basis. And I couldn't really reconcile the, the, the beautiful luxury and the opportunity that so many Australians have on one hand and then the struggle that so many First Nations Australians have on the other. And, um, and I saw through that, that journey of going from no running to running a marathon, uh, the pride that they, they develop within themselves, that sense of confidence and courage, and then to support them to step up with that courage and, and address those really important issues to them. And they're right across the board. The, the issues are everything from you know, sort of chronic disease, to incarceration, to drug and alcohol, to violence, to, you know, whatever's out there. These these guys have had first-hand experience with that, and they want to see change. They don't want their, 
their kids and their nephews and nieces, their communities to, to go through that on an ongoing basis. So, um, so you know, over the last 13 years, we've now uh, got 122 graduates, uh, First Nations from all over the country, from little remote communities in Arnhem Land and APY lands and up in the Torres Strait to country and regional towns and the major cities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So it's a really uh, an incredible cross-section of First Nations young leaders. And, um, you know, they demonstrate to themselves and their families and the community just what an impact that they can have. And, uh, you know, so incredibly proud of each and every one of them uh, for, for stepping up and uh, putting up their hand and really being part of a, a, better, a better Australia for all of us. And that was uh, Rob Castella, Indigenous Marathon Project founder, speaking to NITV's Brianna Holden. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. That's all we have for this Wednesday afternoon. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with more news and stories. Bertrand Tungandami, I'm Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for being with us today. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.